Imposter syndrome is just an indicator that, number one, you want to do really well at something. Something means a lot to you. And number two, you don't have to know everything. Like if you know everything, then it's time for a different job. When you don't know everything, you're not an imposter, you're just learning. And that's what you're supposed to do in a job. You're not supposed to know, you're supposed to learn. And if you're always learning, then you're always getting better. So anytime I feel like an imposter, I just remind myself, I'm just learning. You're listening to the Authenticity is Contagious podcast with Kathleen O'Grady, where she and her guests discuss what it means to choose your authentic self, to remove negative energy, to live a calmer life, and to become more, a more heart-centered person, a stronger leader, a better partner, and a friend. Come join us on this journey of creating the life you've been missing out on, one intention at a time. Here's your host, authentic leadership coach and founder of Rally Coaching and Rally Coaching Academy, Kathleen O'Grady. Welcome to the Authenticity is Contagious podcast. My guest today is Alina Money Garman, CEO and founder of Garmin Homes and Fresh Paint by Garmin. Welcome, Alina. Thank you. I am so excited to have you here. I can (laughs) barely stand it. I can feel it. I'm excited too. It's so fun. Well, I know about your background, but our listeners don't. So if you wouldn't mind just giving a short snippet of the story of you leading up to when we got to that epic phone call, that epic first phone call. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the the story of me begins in many different ways, but I guess... um, I found my way into home building as an adult. I I wasn't studying it, and um, I thought I would be in healthcare. And found my way into home building because I was asking people, I was looking for someone who loved what they did, because that was my goal, was to find a profession that I could love what I did, because in healthcare, I was crying to and from work every day. And so I quit when I was seven months pregnant with my first daughter and roughly $50,000 in student debt. So I was, you know, the score was pregnant, jobless, massive debt. So super fun times, right? <laughs> um, and um, and and just wanting for myself to find something that I love to do, that I could love to do. So I found someone who loved what they did. The first person to answer my question, yes, I love what I do, sold on site for a builder, a, nas- a large national builder. And so I went to work for that builder because I thought I can do that. And I had no idea how much money they made. and But once I found out, I was like, oh, and I can pay my debt off. So I loved it. I ended up loving it. And I kind of – so I fell into home building that way. And, you know, I have this theory that if you love what you do, you can be great at it. And if you only just like it, you'll only ever be pretty good. You'll always be beat by the people who love it. And I wanted to be great. And I loved it. And I just kind of went after it and um, worked for two large national builders had two more daughters. Previous to my third daughter, I ran into Jim Garman, who we had worked together at that large national builder. And he had started his own company. And I just wanted to be part of starting something from nothing. He didn't offer me a job, but I told him I was going to come work for him and start (laughs) his sales team. And he said, okay. And (laughs) um, spoiler alert, he's now my husband. So uh, we built Garman Homes from nothing to something together. And um, that was 13 years ago next month, and um, now we build just under 200 homes a year, and um, 
yeah, I've done everything from start the sales team to managing construction to division vice president, then division president. And then I joined him on the ownership side through our coaching adventure. And um, the spoiler alert, the marriage part, we were married to different people when we started the company and quickly became best friends. And then at a certain point, we kind of both had this, not best friends. Like, this is a this is a wonderful thing and an awful thing. Um, and I, can't, I think we kind of broke both our hearts and a lot of hearts around us. And it was a really difficult time. And I was division president at the time. And um, it was a lot of chaos. And I had gotten to a point in my career where I really needed to talk to somebody outside of people that worked for me or around me or knew me. And I got your name and I called you and I kind of spilled my guts, right? It was like, I have been carrying around this guilt and shame and, you know, kind of confess to you, I think. Like, here's what I've done. Oh my gosh, now what? And I remember so clearly you said, well, we got to get rid of that, the guilt and the shame. And I thought, oh, like exhaled a little deeper. Like, you mean I don't have to carry that around? Like, I don't, I don't have to just walk around feeling like this. And I I felt so hopeful from that moment on. And then, and then working together with you was such a transformative experience. And I was just probably like a little shadow of who I am today when I showed up at your door, I think. I was, I was very lost in my own skin. Well, my memory of that first phone call was, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I was even in the pedicure chair. <laughs> You, I called you and you said, do you mind if I call you back? Do you mind if I talk while I'm getting a pedicure? And I was yes. like, no, of course not. <laughs> and so I was sitting there riveted listening to you unpack your story. Oof. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I love this woman already. Oh. I can't wait to do whatever I possibly can to help her heal from this. And And you're right. You were so much more muted, I would say. Yeah. Because you were, your, your light was kind of hidden under all of, of that low level energy. Yeah. From the stories you were telling yourself. Mm-hmm. And the stories that I was being told. Well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> People can yeah. be wretchedly judgmental. It was awful. Yeah. yeah. I had turned the volume way, I had turned the, you know, the dimmer, if it's a dimmer switch, since we're speaking in light, I had turned it all the way down because I was just, too afraid and too raw. Mm-hmm. And I, it was it was painful. It was really a dark, not fun time. But I felt the love immediately. I felt that. It's, so thank you. You're still there. <laughs> I know. It was, it's very fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so when you imagine where you are now versus where you were when you made that phone call, yeah. what do you want to say to people listening who – might find themselves in a taboo love of their life scenario yeah. or any scenario where their their heart is pulling them in one direction, yeah. but societal expectations or norms or harsh judgment is expecting them to go a different way. Yeah. It's, first of all, if you're going through that, I'm sorry. It's It's not fun and it's not easy and it's just, I, I would encourage people to get really, really quiet. Just be still and be quiet. 
because there's a voice inside your head that knows. That knows that whatever you need to do, whatever path you need to take is the right path. And I think that we ignore that voice for so long because of the what ifs. Because, you know, what are my children going to think? What's my mother going to say? What's, you know, what are all these people that work for us, frankly, going to do? But I knew. I just, it was the most natural decision in the world that also happened to be the most heartbreaking one. And I, you know, breaking my children's hearts was horrible. I could only make it make sense in my in my head, in my heart, knowing that I would rebuild it for them. Mm-hmm. And we would rebuild it stronger. And I think being, maybe that's from being a builder. Maybe that's just from knowing that deep down, I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just knew I had to. And I knew that that really small, still, quiet voice was telling me to do it. This is what I need to do. And I, I think you just have to get quiet. You have to ignore all the voices except the one inside you that knows. And even if you don't know how it works, you know that you can't stay where you are. Right. Um, and have a really open mind about all the things that, that happen because it's, it's not linear. It's, it's sort of chaos. And you just got to stick to your solid ground. And for me, my solid ground was I'm healthy. Uh, my kids are healthy. I have everything I need to help us move on from here. And that's what I'm going to do. And you were so brave to do that, Alina. Well, I want you. I want to remind you that when we spoke about having you on the podcast and we talked about some of the highlights that we wanted the listeners to gain. Uh, I think we chunked it into some various stages, like the, your yeah. own hero's journey. Yeah. So there was the moment of you giving yourself the love and support that was necessary for you to heal, which was reaching out for a coach. Yeah. Then there was the healing process and there was the reading and the the different exercises that we did in between the sessions. And then there was the cultivation of your new normal, right? Not just at home and with your family, Mm -hmm. but at work, because I remember you had a lot of imposter syndrome based on the things that were changing and the multiple dynamics that were kind of layered on top of one another. Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Sure. The, the imposter syndrome was, um, crippling at times. It was, um, it was really hard. The narrative I, I had in my head was, was pretty negative. Um, because I had gotten so far in my career and I was very proud of that. And, you know, part of my identity was this, you know, woman in home building and I had made my way. And, um, the, the person who was my biggest cheerleader also fell in love with me and then I married him. And I was worried that that part of the story negated all of the work and passion and love that I put into building my career. As if you just married into success. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I, it was hard. And then, and then what imagine. am I going to do? Walk around and be like, I earned this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was, I had to get over that myself that. So what if people believe that? I think the biggest thing I came away with was, so what if someone thinks that? It doesn't make it true. It's just what they believe. My narrative is the one that matters. And I think 
I remember when you first you had me read um, Jen Sincero, You're a Badass, and that was like the gateway drug to self-help books because it was so easy to digest and it felt like talking to you or talking to a girlfriend and she was kind of, you know, shaking me by the collar, like, remember who you are kind of thing. Like, this is who you are. You are a badass. You, your life right now doesn't take away all the things you fought for to get here. And then um, you said to read The Four Agreements. Miguel Ruiz John Junior? Miguel Ruiz okay. Senior. Senior, sorry. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I got it on Audible, and <laughs> it starts with this crazy pan flute, and I was like, this is not me. I cannot get through the pan flute. Like, this is too woo-woo. <laughs> but I was like, open mind, open heart, like – if Kathleen says to read it, you're gonna you're gonna listen to it. So I I listened to it and the part about um, be impeccable with your word. I was telling myself just the scariest stories ever about who I was and what people around me thought about me and what that meant. And it was it was terrible. It was a prison. I was torturing myself. And reading that book, I realized what self-harm I was doing. And it was turning me into a terrible person. I mean, I, I was not a happy person. I was hurt and I was hurting other people because I was hurt. That moment, I remember reading that book and thinking like, oh, oh, I'm doing this to myself. Like I, you know, I had put myself in this victim scenario, but I was my own persecutor. Mm-hmm. So reading that book definitely helped me to learn a language of how I could release myself from this. And I I think the the coaching model is so empowering because you're not diagnosing me or telling me any of this. You're just kind of loving me from this position of this journey that I decided to go on and, you know, giving me some clues and some hints along the way to help me. But it's so empowering to arrive at those conclusions with you because you feel a sense of ownership about them. So I felt the imposter syndrome kind of lessened a lot in that process. But then I started thinking about imposter syndrome in, in like a bigger sense of like when I felt the most imposter syndrome. And I remember when I brought my first daughter home, Amelia, and I was holding her and it was Easter Sunday and there's this tiny baby in my lap, you know, and I'm holding her little head and looking at her and thinking, there is no way in hell I can live up to this role. There's... I was just so overwhelmed with the person I was expected to be in her life. Like, how was I ever going to do this? And I thought about that moment, and then I thought about getting through it, figuring it out. And I thought, okay, so imposter syndrome is just an indicator that, number one, you want to do really well at something. Something means a lot to you. And number two, you don't have to know everything. Like if you know everything, then it's time for a different job. <laughs> when you when you don't know everything, you're not an imposter. You're just learning. And that's what you're supposed to do in a job. You're not supposed to know. You're supposed to learn. And if you're always learning, then you're always getting better. So anytime I feel like an imposter, I just remind myself that I'm just learning. I'm just figuring it out. I'm still in the process and I always want to get better. So I know for certainty that I'm a good mother and that I love my children endlessly. And when I get in a position professionally, when I feel like I'm out of my depth, I remind myself that like, remember when you held Amelia and thought there's no way I can do this? 
we've done it. And, and she's great. And I'm a good mother and I can say that and not apologize for it and not qualify it. And whatever is in front of me, then this is, this is just what it looks like. And this is what it feels like. And I, I will figure it out and I will learn. And all three of your daughters are rock stars. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. You can see them on TikTok. (laughs) And the, you know, what I want to say about the, I guess the opposite of imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. is being an expert, right? Right. And so what do we, how do we define what an expert is? To me, an expert is someone who is so passionate about something that they are just ravenous to learn more and more as much as possible. And so you are an expert in so many things. Building is one of them. Leading is one of them. But one of my favorites is your public speaking. And so if we could just fast forward to past the healing phase, when we started to focus your sessions on prepping you for how you were going to take that new awesome, badass you back into the world without muting your your shine. Yeah. Once I took the dimmer switch off. Yes, exactly. I put it all the way up. Yeah. And and I would love (laughs) for you to share a little bit about your Operation Coming Home speech. Yeah. Once you and I had kind of turned off the dimmer switch, right, and fully turned on the shine, like you said, the universe was going to start to respond to me. And I, I think my connection to an other power got much stronger during my coaching journey. Um, I was raised Catholic, but I don't practice a Catholic faith. And so I was kind of needing some connection to that. And so all these opportunities started to come my way once I was fully in my flow, I guess, or in my center of whatever excellence. I don't know. But we got a call from a female developer, which is rare, so I want to point it out. And she said um, they wanted to, to build Operation Coming Home, a hero home for Operation Coming Home in her neighborhood, and we're a builder in her neighborhood. Operation Coming Home builds homes, gives homes to severely wounded warriors returning from war, and she wanted one in her neighborhood, and she wanted to know if I could build one. But I was building two. We build a Habitat for Humanity Blitz home every year, so it's foundation to finish in six days. One of the Garmin differences is we give back with every home purchase. So we were already doing two Habitat homes that year. And I told her, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can lean on the trades that much. And I don't, I don't want to, um, cause the trades really donate the labor and the materials and we make up the shortfall. So I said, um, there's a, a couple other builders in the neighborhood that were based out of Fayetteville, which is closer to where the, Fort Bragg and everything is. And I said, I don't, I don't think we can do it this year, but I, I so appreciate being asked and ask the other builders and then let me know. So she called me back and she said they passed. And I had this moment of like, huh, I bet I'm supposed to pay attention to this. I should just say yes. There was just that, you know, it's that voice again, right? That still small voice that's like, uh, you need to say yes to this. <laughs> So I'm on the phone and here I say, I, I found myself saying, okay, sure, I'll do it. And so I just had basically committed to a, you know, 300 and whatever thousand dollar house for free. And I figured if the trades won't pay for it, we will, we'll, we'll find a way to do it because this is what we're supposed to be doing. The universe has brought this to us and we need to rise to it. So a couple Weeks later, we find out that um, I get a call on a Friday afternoon. I'm home with my three kids, 
I was not married at the time. So single mom, three kids, Friday night, you know, my weekend with them. I'm super excited. And I get a call from Andy Ladner, who runs the U.S. Veterans Corps and who places the the warrior, the, the hero, with the builder. And he called me and he said, hey, I have, um, I think I found your recipient. I said, okay. And he said, I want to, um, um, I think we might, would you be okay building for the widow of a fallen soldier? And I remember getting so choked up. I, I get choked up now even thinking about it. Like, here's this woman. She's a single mom of three kids. And she's just like me. But I'm in a position to help her. And I was so full of gratitude for that opportunity. Like, I can't believe I almost didn't say yes to this. And um, he said, would you, would you build a home for her to honor her husband who died? And I mean, my God, try and stop me, right? <laughs> um, I said, yes, of course I will. And um, it was a tremendous honor to be given the opportunity to build the first home to honor a fallen soldier because so many don't return home, right? And there's these families that they have their own journey to go on. And it, it, my journey pales in comparison to theirs. And so I felt a tremendous responsibility to to make this something really special. And so we got to build this woman, her name's Ebony. We got to build her a home and meet her and meet her kids and honor this this wonderful man spirit. And it was, you know, I always say like when you die, you know, if they play a highlight reel of your life, they're gonna they're gonna play Ebony for me. So anyway. <laughs> leading up yeah, leading up to that moment. <laughs> Leading up to that moment, I knew I was going to have to make a speech of, you know, dedicating this house to her. And I came to you and said, I, I mean, I love public speaking. I feel like I'm in my center of purpose and what I'm here to do when I'm um, speaking publicly. And I, you and I worked on what we wanted my speech to sound like. And we started with, Five words or three words? I can't remember. I think five. You said, give me five words of how you want, how you want to be, how you want to show up in the world in this moment. And we wrote them down and I came up with this idea of the courageous yes. And I wanted to honor all the yeses that brought us to that moment of bestowing this house um, for this family because just Sergeant Justin B. Unwardy is the, the fallen soldier and he he was born in Nigeria and emigrated to the United States, and that's a yes. That's a courageous yes. And then decided to serve. That's a really courageous yes. Love this country, this new country so much that he decided to serve. And then he paid the ultimate price with his life in Afghanistan. And then Ebony has to say yes to keep going. And she was a veteran as well. She was a combat medic. And... She had a lot of courage in her life and her yes. And these boys have these models of so much courage in their life and so much heartbreak as a result of that courage. And I really wanted to honor the fact that, you know, when when I got that first call to build the Operation Coming Home Hero Home, I didn't say yes. I said no. 
and that didn't feel very courageous. I felt like I was protecting you know, the trades and our team and not stretching everybody too thinly. And But then when it came back around, that moment of like, you should just say yes to this, that was me being courageous and knowing that I didn't know how it was going to work out. I didn't know how I was going to make good on that yes, but I was going to figure it out. So I gave the speech about yes, about having the courage to say yes and having faith in your yes, no matter what those circumstances look like. If you're committed to something and you're passionate about it and you set out to honor someone, then there's a way to find it. And the video of the speech got a lot of really lovely responses. And it was, it was really wonderful, wonderful gift for me to get that response. Well, I was in the audience. Yes, you were. And just like a minute ago when you were tearing up, there wasn't a dry eye in the house when you were finished speaking that day. And I do believe you're getting to do another one of these homes. We are. Yeah. And (laughs) I do believe that it's going to be in my neighborhood. Yes. So get this, everybody. I'm buying a home from Alina. (laughs) You are. And I just want to give a shout out to you and Jim and all of the amazing people at Garmin uh, and Fresh Paint, Danica, Britton, Rebecca, of course, Jake. I mean, your company is, I mean, I loved you before, (laughs) but now that I'm a customer of yours and I get to see all of the things that you would talk about in session, like as a true customer, like the customer experience for a company that's dedicated to diversity, inclusion, Mm -hmm. authenticity, and love. Mm -hmm. Everything about your brand experience is right up my alley. And so the fact that not only have you been in my, a coaching client of mine, but then you went to Raleigh Coaching Academy in yeah. 2018. Yep, 2018. And so do you want to talk a little bit about what drew you to do that, knowing that you already had a fully successful career? Yeah. Um, what was it that drew you to want to attend RCA? I think I just I wanted to I wanted to get the superpowers. You know, I felt <laughs> like I had been the difference in my life was so apparent and evident. I just got re- so recharged and I was so ready to like shed all the things that had held me back. And I just wanted to be prepared to do some fraction of that for someone who came across me, for someone who had done the same things as me or been through the same struggles as me. I wanted to be prepared to help them if I could. I think it made me a better person, just a better, a better friend, a better mom, a better wife a better person who wants to lead their life with a lot of love. And I needed to know how to do that because I had been so impacted. My life had just gone from, you know, really sad. I was going to, I wanted to leave the company that I built and just go hide and do something else and detach. And going through coaching was me kind of recommitting myself to this is my spot. I created this place and I want to make it everything it can be. And so going through the coaching training really helped me do that and helped me feel more prepared. And I guess in my space, right? I wanted to learn. I wanted to not feel like an imposter. I wanted to 
feel empowered by it. It was it was a wonderful time of life to go through the coaching experience and meet all those people and hear their stories and bear witness to it and share my own. And we were, our, our company was going through a massive transition while I was in coaching training. We had a, um, we got a brand new division president and we experienced about 60% turnover in five months, her first Oof. five months. And half of it was our idea and half of it was the other person's idea. And I always say it's the best, worst thing that ever could happen to us. It was wonderful because it, it needed to happen. The universe knew what it was doing. Um, it felt like hell at the time. And I had to be really diligent about not telling myself stories that were um, harmful and paranoid <laughs> and just believe that, you know, just kind of like be still and believe that this is, there is a plan at work here and we can hang on and we're strong enough resilient enough we can take the lessons that we're learning right now and leave the rest and and keep moving and um yeah we did that the com- it's a it's a whole new company it's so gratifying for me to hear that it's come true cuz i think it's it's important to point out that i didn't know you were buying one of our houses you texted me <laughs> That's true. You I was liked a little Wendell sneaky Falls, about it. And I was like, oh, that's great. Who are you looking at? And then you, you texted back one of our plan names. And I was like, wait, you're going to buy one of ours? And it was so, um, so fulfilling. And then I was a little bit nervous, like, oh, gosh. <laughs> like, it was like uh, like a secret shop. You know, they have those all the time. Like, they'll builders will send out someone to actually shop their brand and then report back, like, what they heard. And so I was like, oh, wow, like, I'm just going to be real quiet and not get in, you know, not get in the middle and not call the sales team and be like, hey, do you know who that is? Or, you know, <laughs> until after you had gone through it. And it was uh, tremendously gratifying to hear your res- response to it, to know it was true. All the things that you hope and wish and say that it's, it's actually you can poke it and it's actually real. That you went out there and you felt the authenticity, you felt the passion, you felt the, you felt my story in something that was that's removed from me. I know? got to see your daughter's names on the color schemes, yeah. and uh, just you and and Jim's signature on everything, yeah. and of course Rebecca's. So, yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, I sent you a picture of the contract, and you guys yes. were in a team meeting. Yes, and it was official, and you were like. Wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, Jim and Rebecca, Rebecca's our division president. So Jim and Rebecca and I have a meeting, the three of us together. And I, you know, I was looking at my phone and I said, Oh my gosh, you guys, look, Kathleen just bought a house from us. Isn't this cool? Like, isn't this fun that we get to do this? You know, again, it's like, it's a bonus. It's not something I never, I didn't have any expectation when you said I'm looking at Wendell Falls. It wasn't like, well, you better be looking at one of my houses. It was, <laughs> it was who are you looking at? As I thought it was great. I mean, I love Wendell Falls. I love the neighborhood. Obviously, we build lots and lots of houses there. It was such a fun honor to get to do that. And well, I didn't even bother to look at any of the other builders because well, I lovely. didn't want to waste any time. <laughs> I bought my wedding dress in under 45 minutes yeah. and I bought a house in under a week. So there you have it. I love it. Um, Alina, tell me what being a trained coach has mm-hmm. done for your parenting. <laughs> it's it's improved it tremendously. I think it, I've 
and it was such good timing because I had teenagers. I think it it really opened me up to asking more open-ended questions and, and really seeking the authenticity within each of my children. Um, I have this like bristle effect when on social media I see someone use the hashtag mini me because it, it contrasts so vehemently with my parenting philosophy that, you know, my job is to look inside each of these children and find the light and then, you know, just blow on that spark until it's a roaring, raging fire and that they become the person they were meant to be, not me, not their father not anybody else, just authentically, uniquely them. And so I think coaching helped me to reframe my role as their mom to seek their own authenticity and to help them fully embrace that, who they are, and um, without apology and with um, with a pride, uh, a sense of pride and um, excitement about the fact that they were created uniquely and that they could decide exactly who they wanted to be and how they wanted to show up in the world and how you wanted to show up for them too. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then what about as the CEO of Garmin and Fresh Paint, how many employees do you have right now? Um, I, th- I think it's 24. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of change going on. Yeah. Still. Jim and I don't run the day to day anymore because Rebecca is such a complete badass. <laughs> um, She's remarkable. And we outhired ourselves, which was fantastic. So we could stay in the owner's seat. And what I, what I think coaching allowed me to do was hire someone who was so much better at leading and running than I was without any reflection or insecurity about that. It was like, why shouldn't I want the best of the best to run this company and really take it as far as it can go? And so I love this lane that I've carved out for myself to be a person, to be Rebecca's person, to be her, you know, the person that she confides in and talks to about the business and, and to be able to be a resource to her. And, you know, as a coach, I don't have to have all the answers. She has the answers. I just need to be listening with my whole heart and my whole head and be present to whatever she needs to talk about at the time. And it's wonderful. It's the most wonderful place to be right now. And that frees you up to be the thought leader that you are and to go out and expand your mission right. while everything's being handled beautifully back right. at home base. Yeah. I don't have to worry about how it's being, how the company's being run or loved or driven. I, I can go do what I'm best at and pursue opportunities that, that build us and make us who we are. And we can all be in our own lanes uh, of excellence. I think it really helped clear the lines for us. It was crowded there at the top. You know, Jim and I are married to each other. We're business, we're, you know, partners in business and life. And so that could get really messy for someone coming into work for people who are married to each other. I think coaching helped us have a language of how we would all be there and be fully exactly who we were and are and will become without apology. To make that the best it could be, we can all contribute. And so in terms of the Raleigh Coaching Academy model, it's segueing between your identity story as a spouse right. and as the owner of the company right. or as a friend. Exactly. Right? So right. since I want to respect your time today, I just want to say that you are also having a podcast yes. based on your Build Like a Girl 
platform. Yes. So do you want to share a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so 2020 is turning out to be a big, like a full circle moments for me. So 10 years ago, 2010, so it was really pretty deep down in the downturn of real estate. And um, I built a home because Jim and I were driving through a neighborhood where another builder had gone bankrupt. And we were looking at uh, home sites to buy because we could only afford the stuff that was on clearance anyway. And um, we bought these houses. And I said, why aren't more women running home building companies? It's just a conversation we were having because to me, it was just a sales problem, right? You just sales cures all. You just sell your way out of it, right? That's that's how home building works. And he said, I don't know. It could be just regular sexism. It could be because they don't know how to build a house. And I said, well, then I want you to teach me how to build a house because I want the opportunity I want to earn the the chance to run this ship one day. So I built a house and I blogged about it. It was called Build Like a Girl. And I had a very established sales career at that point. I had one salesperson of the year and I had sold hundreds and hundreds of houses, but I knew embarrassingly little about building. And so this experience was me fully embracing imposter syndrome, really, and um, finding out for myself. And the connection to the trades, to our trade partners, was my favorite part. And learning so much with them and learning about what it meant to them to build our houses and what it means to me to have them build our houses. So, yeah, I want to revisit that time of life. It was it was transformative for me to go because it, it set off the rest of my path. I hadn't dared to dream that big before. Like, I'm going to run a home building company someday. And Build Like a Girl was my experiment to prove that I could run a home building company someday. So I want to revisit that time with other women in home building and talk about their own experiences, being an other, being different. Um, Construction, home building industry is 10% women. And most of us are located on the sales and marketing side. Very few of us are in the C-suites. And um, I want to explore what it means to be a woman in home building with these other women and talk about pivotal moments in their careers and how how they carve out space for themselves and for each other. Well, I know it's going to be amazing because everything you do is. (laughs) And uh, this is wonderful. I would love to ask you one final question. Okay. What is your definition of authenticity? Hmm. It's it's such a good question because it's a knowing for me. It is a – my definition of authenticity is is you – you're listening to that small voice in your head and it's not small anymore. It's the only voice that you hear. Mm-hmm. It's it's knowing that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Even if it doesn't feel like it, no matter what's going on, you're kind of you're centered and you're honoring the person that you know you are and what you know is true and what you love and respect and honor by just being truthful to yourself. Um, I think we all lie to ourselves at different times to get through something or to make the best out of a situation that might not be ideal. But I think when you're living in your own authenticity, you're fully honest with yourself and with everyone around you. It's sometimes, if not most times, unpopular to be authentic initially. It is. Until it is. Right. And then people get used to you. (laughs) You get really good at setting boundaries and Authenticity leads to a lot of other one of things like boundaries and like being genuine and and inspire it inspires people even if they're offended it inspires them to do the same to live their own truth too 
Well, that's a great place to end. And I want to thank you so much again, Alina, for doing this for us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for asking me. You are a pioneer for women leaders in the building industry and for just women in general. Thank you. And we are so lucky to have you on the show. And I hope that you will be a return guest in the future so we can celebrate even more exciting things that you're doing. Anytime. Happy to do it. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, Elena. Well, having Elena Money Garman on our show has been such a treat, and I am thrilled to be moving into a home built with love and authenticity by her organization in just a few weeks. If you're interested in finding out about Garmin Homes and Fresh Paint by Garmin, you can visit garminhomes.biz. That's G-A-R-M-A-N, homes.biz, and then freshpaintbygarmin.com. And thank you so much for tuning in. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we would love it if you could give us a rating and a review. If you're interested in becoming a more authentic leader yourself, visit AuthenticityIsContagious.com. Intro and outro music for this podcast was provided by a dear friend and former client, the incredibly talented Autumn Rose Brand. You can find out more about her and her music at AutumnBrandViolin.com. This episode was edited and produced by EarFluence. For more on full-service podcast production for your business or personal brand, visit EarFluence.com. Next time on the Authenticity is Contagious podcast. This being at home and just being with yourself and you have to get to know yourself better. You're alone so much and you are sometimes even lonely and you you hurt a lot and you have to become your best friend because you're the only person you always have with you. I'm Kathleen O'Grady reminding you not to settle for a mediocre life. Thank you and I'll talk to you next time.